Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. We're in our Advent Christmas series. Uh, as you know, we're doing kind of a parallel thing on Sundays. I'm still going through the Sermon on the Mount. I recommend that to you. Uh, check it out. We just finished prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and we'll be moving forward. That's on Sundays, on Saturdays through Christmas Eve. We're doing a Gospel Rant Christmas, a different kind of Christmas pageant. Uh, this is the sixth out of seventh. We're calling it God's Shocking Preachers for this year's Christmas Sermon, The Shepherds. So, uh, look, we're not afraid of being a little provocative here at Gospel Rant. I hope that's entertaining to you and, and thought-provoking. It's a dialogue, so you can freely disagree. In fact, I encourage it. Let me know, bill at gospel-app.com. Uh, love getting feedback, uh, at least so far. <laughs> so welcome to the Gospel Rant. All right, Christmas, Advent. So let's imagine that you're looking at what church to go to this year, right? It's been a while, you know, COVID, and uh, maybe you've been doing church online. Maybe you've fallen away from that. There's a lot of folks out there, no judgment for me. And you may be feeling a little ashamed and bad about it, and you're thinking it's time to go back. Christmas would be a good time, a, a shame, face-saving time to do it, but where do you go? Well, you go online, you know, it's been two years, three years, four years, so you may not want to go to the church you were going to. There's some shame there. I get it. So you go online and you look at who's preaching at some local churches. I mean, come on, you know you do it. Uh, come on, I get it. Me too. Uh, church number one has a well-respected preacher. He's been there forever or she's been there forever. But the music, you know, kind of old and stilted. There's a younger church with a Aging former youth leader who's bald and wears body shirts, tells lots of body jokes. But the music is fantastic. Um, and there's another church that, as you look at their website, you notice that they've invited a homeless person to come and tell the community about a vision they had about an angel. Yeah. So let's call him Bob. Um, that's the name they put on the website. They didn't have a last name. He has zero education. He has a long police rap sheet. Uh, he seems to be struggling with addiction. And by the way, he's still homeless. It's not like things have changed. What do you think? Is that a kind of church you want to go to? Did you want to go hear Bob? Are you going to give Bob some credibility? Or what if it was Stephanie, right? Uh, a homeless single mom. Reputation of drugs, other things. Bob and Stephanie probably smell, uh, but she too heard from some angels, a bunch of them, by the way. What do you think? Listen, welcome to the sermon preached in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago in Advent. But before we get to it, here's a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Luke 2, 9 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men, as humans, men and women, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Luke 2, 9 to 20. Well, uh, more counterintuitive, upside-down stuff for this Advent, this first Advent, this uh, different kind of Christmas pageant. Advent means to come, but it's this is more than just a coming, a holiday visit, a church visit. It's an intentional coming of God into his creation to rescue and raise up helpless, beat-up people like the shepherds. I mean, they were the poster children for Advent, the first Christmas. And this is way beyond what has happened to them here. In fact, far more than they deserve, let's face it, or have dreamed of. I bet they've given up the dreams of of having God's favor. And I think it's instructive to see what kind of people, what types of people are on God's mind that first Advent. See, I don't think his priorities have changed today. Right there is the overlooked Elizabeth and Zechariah. We're going to talk about that in the next podcast for Christmas Eve. Don't miss this. Zechariah, the priest Zechariah and his wife, nobody had more verses coverage in the Christmas story than than those two, and particularly Zechariah. But you never hear about Zechariah, the shamed priest. And we're going to be looking at that in the next podcast on on December 24th. I mean, don't miss it. It's it's the it's the gospel message. It's the Christmas message, Zechariah. And look, Zechariah, Elizabeth, they did everything right. They kept their noses clean. They worshiped God. It was sacrificial. They were godly and loyal church folks, but they weren't blessed by God, in, at least until God's advent. That's the whole story. There's the unfairly shamed and humiliated Mary. You know, we're not specifically sure why Mary testified that she was humiliated. It could mean a lot of things. But we do know that it changed when God intentionally looked at her, right? And now all will call me blessed, she'll testify, I think, in a, an eruption of Holy Spirit power. And today, we're going to look at the disenfranchised, the outcast, the rejects, the despised uh, Jews, right, who weren't welcomed in the temple, the shepherds. God's advent. This coming, then and today, is intentionally for those who 
who were relegated to lower outside status. They're the Audis. And maybe you felt that very same thing. God intentionally sends his angels to these men and women to anoint them to be prophets. That's that's really the image here. They were to go and tell the so-called insiders, right, the rest of Judea, that the Messiah King has been born. So first he uses Magi, who were unbelieving non-Jews, and now it's the Jews who are, if you will, non-believing. They're the first ones invited. The Messiah seems to be not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the despised, the former despised. Shepherds were one of the tragic, low-born cast of Judaism. And remember, they were descendants of Abraham, too. They were Jews, but they weren't treated that way. They weren't treated as brothers and sisters to whom favor was due, honor due. They were treated as Jew lights. Uh, you know, they're, they're the I-can't-believe-it's-butter demographic group of Judea. And you'll, you'll never see a Yintel movie where a young Jewish girl bucks her father because she wants to study to become a shepherd. You just won't. Uh, because, it, it, you know, they, they, were, they were the folks that you didn't want to become, the shepherds. And why? Well, they were ritually unclean due to their profession. That's what they were told. All day they dealt with unclean animals, including carcasses of dying and dead animals. So they were ritually unclean. In the Jewish writings of the, the era, there's no provision for them becoming clean. No offering prescribed. In other words, they were unsavable untouchables in Israel. It was just assumed that God had abandoned them, or they had abandoned God, whichever place you wanted to point your finger, and that God would never touch them. We all know people like that. You might be one of them. They socially stunk to high heavens. They weren't allowed into the temple or synagogue. They wouldn't be, come on, they wouldn't honestly be welcome in most churches. They, they wouldn't feel welcomed either. They wouldn't feel comfortable. So can you imagine, I mean, don't think of shepherding as a profession that you go to school for. It was probably a family thing. You inherited it, your great-grandpa, your grandpa, your pa, and now you, you were unclean people of unclean people. Your whole genealogy and DNA, I mean, you take one of those blood tests, right, the uh, DNA and me thing, and, and, and all it says is you get this worldwide thing with, with this thing uh, writing on top of it that says unclean. I mean, where did you come from? Unclean. And the caricature, all right, let me give you a caricature. It's unfair. I get that. I mean, some of these were very, very good people and loving people, loving husbands and wives. So, But here's the caricature. Tattoos, tobacco chewing, lazy, angry brawlers, alcoholics, rebels who are abusive, selfish husbands and wives who fool around, drink too much. They're untrustworthy, right? You get the idea. That's the caricature. Why would you welcome them in your church, particularly at a Christmas pageant with kids around? Well, apparently the Messiah did. Right? I want to just breathe a bit and, and, and get that. It's tragically ironic when we think that there were some shepherds, right? Some, By the way, some argue the very ones mentioned in Luke, they were the ones charged with keeping the sacrificial lambs for the temple, only four miles away. They were to keep the lambs pure and undefiled, their bones unbroken. And some suggest they used linen strips to wrap around the feet of newborns so that they wouldn't break their bones. That would have been the same strips that Mary used for the newborn Jesus. So the lambs were clean, even though they touched them, but 
their hands were still defiled. You get the you get the hypocrisy. It's not just back then. We do it today too. But the shepherds were seen as lower on the holiness, God-loved food chain than sheep and goats. Really? I mean, the only ones unclean and outcast by God on the field that night were the shepherds, <laughs> not the sheep. But God had a gift for them, an, an honor, a call for them. He was going to raise them up for a prophetic task. He looks down and raises these outcasts, these shepherds, to be the new prophets. And believe me, they didn't earn it. They weren't looking for that. I, I imagine they weren't praying for that because, I mean, who would have thought? I mean, that's absurd, right? But they were to come and be the first with the official audience with the Messiah. God unilaterally puts them on his A-list. They get to go backstage. They get to hang out with the rock group, the heavenly host. So, you know, who would be the most surprised? Is it the priest? Is it the good Jews? You know, I'm going to suggest that it was the shepherds themselves. Maybe they, look, I think they would have grown used to the marginalization. Why would they expect anything better? Maybe they wore it as a chip on their shoulders. You know, it'd be a cold day in hell before I would darken the door of a temple or synagogue. Uh, Maybe they still resented it and were, right, filled with anger, passive aggressiveness. I get that. Maybe they self-medicated, likely. Maybe they acted out and became their own caricature, likely. Maybe they weren't pleased with God or could care less what God thought. I get that too, at least until that night. So here's an interesting question. Were they more afraid of the angels or were they afraid to enter into a task given to them by God, you know, the same God they were ambivalent about or hated, right? Do not be afraid. I bring you. That's right, you shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. (laughs) All the people, muttered the shepherds. What do we care about all the people? What have they done for us, these people? They've always been the privileged, the clean, the unashamed, and then they're the likes of us who serve them. Huh. You get it, right? What a great scene. God's intentional advenio, right? Advent gaze is upon those who need to be rescued and raised. That seems to be God's DNA, right? Today in the town of David, Luke 2, 11, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace to men on whom his favor rests. (laughs) A savior for us? God's favor for us? Why? How? I mean, are you saying this is a way that we're being made clean? That somehow the whole caste system in Judaism is going to change? What about our sins? And why, why for us? Why were we not aware of that? A savior born for us? We don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. This is counter to everything we have been told. Yeah. But then Jesus says, look, here's the real theology about my rescue that maybe you just haven't really heard. Maybe you haven't been told. My peace, which is relational peace, meaning you and I can become good, is given to whomever I say so. I make my favor rest upon the most unlikely. At times, almost always, I say who is clean because I'm the one cleaning them and everyone. If the truth were known is untouchable, I'm holy and no one else is righteous. No, not one. It has always been arrogance and blind hubris to claim to be clean enough for my favor. So who's clean enough? Only the one who has been faithful 100% of the time, period. 
I come to a nasty piled sink of unclean dishes with all kinds of absurd religious chatter. One dish sees the dish next to them as soiled and they feel pretty good about their cleanliness in contrast and so feel proud and contemptuous. But from my point of view, there's a lot of work to be done on all the dishes. I alone can clean them to cleanness. And it's going to cost me dearly. Those who I clean are clean indeed. Those who clean themselves are are fools. All you need is need. Shepherds, you are in great need. Come to me. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Luke 2.12. So look, everyone has to have proof. Me too. I mean, particularly the beat up, the cynical, right? They've learned to be hesitant and skeptical. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. So here's some proof. Go check it out. There's going to be a newborn wrapped in the same strips of cloth that you would wrap a newborn lamb to protect its limbs from breaking. And just for fun, you'll find the Savior, that infant in an animal's food trough. I mean, you need a clearer message than that. Enjoy your rescue, gentlemen and ladies. Well, when the angels had left them, verse 15, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. New thing for shepherds, I'm suspecting praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So back to surprises. Remember how humiliated Mary and Joseph were? And and right, a good mother would certainly not want visitors to see her child and her in the basement of a house, dwelling amid sheep and goats, having to dress her baby in lamb strips and put him in a food trough. Seriously, I mean, how shameful in in an honor-shame culture. But culturally, then to have unclean, ungodly shepherds come. I mean, can you imagine the rumor mill on an occasion as important as this, where she's and Joseph are trying to protect their baby. I mean, if the head of the household was already looking down at this pregnant bride, this is just going to make matters worse. Uh, As humiliated as Mary and Joseph were, they were still Jews and and Jews from Nazareth, by the way. So they, they, they they uh, they would have focused on purity because... That's what their people did. And clean Jews, ritually clean Jews, avoid shepherds. It's been a long thing. And by the way, for for them, it's been a long week. But this was the official audience that God ordered. This was a Messiah, not for self-proclaimed clean enough, those who merely follow some confession and rules, but to those who knew their need for cleaning because they failed the rules. This was a rescue. And it's made clear from day one. Man, I hope I hope we're getting that. Um, and by the way, I, I have to tell this story real quickly. When I was in Vancouver, I was asked by the editor of the Vancouver Sun to, to talk about Christmas and the Christmas story from a Christian perspective, and they were going to give a whole full-page spread, uh, God Bless Canada. And I did. And uh, one of the things we talked about was the shepherds and just told the story. And, and I got this bitter, bitter, angry letter from an uh, animal rights person who was angry at me for encouraging people to leave sheep in their flocks at night, unprotected. And 
and that I was somehow promoting that. And, and you know, I did, I did, how do you respond to that as how, how could we miss the story uh, so badly? And, and I'm sure God took care of the sheep. So uh, anyway, I had to tell that story. Uh, this is a good place as any to get a word from our sponsors. We'll get back in a little bit and I have some closing thoughts. All right, welcome back. A couple aha moments, and I'll let you get back to your Christmas events. An aha moment, number one. Check this irony out. The Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, right, four miles from where the shepherds were, had been empty for over 600 years, the the nasty, dirty little secret. So all the Yom Kippurs, the Day of Atonement, the annual substitutional death of a goat for the sins of mankind, you know, it really has been smoke and mirrors because God's Shekinah glory wasn't at the temple. you know, I don't know how you can have a trial without the judge on the bench. So no one alive was made righteous by the Day of Atonement. A big cover-up. The scribes and the Pharisees were as soiled as everyone else, ritually. Are you with me? Everybody was unclean. No one was ritually any cleaner than any other because they got to go to the temple or they got to go to a synagogue. Meaning everybody needed a rescue. Everybody was a shepherd. It's great irony, right? So these shepherds may have been objectified, humiliated on planet Earth, but never in heaven. In heaven, they are guests of honors. They are the first guest of honors, by the way. This king adores the shamed and beat up. That's who he came to rescue. That's his splagnizomai, the, the, the Greek word that's most translated compassion. But it's more than a compassion. It's a desire to pursue, to embrace, and to rescue, raise to honor those who've been beat up. And he feels compassion and honor towards these men and women. In fact, he is going to identify with them. He's the great shepherd. Such irony. He's, he's the good shepherd. He doesn't call himself ever the good Pharisee or the good scribe, right? So riddle me this. In that culture, how can someone unclean by profession become good? Well, the king does it by an executive fiat. He pardons criminals and sets them free And of course, then he goes to jail in their place and serves their death sentence completely. That's what he does. And he declares them clean. He makes them clean. Aha, moment number two. So get this. When the shepherds show up and hold Jesus in their arms, culturally, Jesus becomes unclean. (laughs) But he has come to shatter such foolishness. He makes the unclean clean. He doesn't become soiled by their touch. By his touch, they become clean. In his presence, he proclaims them clean. Heaven is filled with rescued and clean shepherds. That's all of us who've come to the Christ child, looked into his eyes while unclean. And in God's advenio, advent gaze, we become clean. Hell will be filled with unredeemed, unrescued, and unclean righteous the unclean righteous. Yeah, that's it. Luther says we need to repent of our righteousness. It must be laid before the throne for redemption. Aha, moment number three. Not only that, but these outcasts of Judea become his prophets to the innies, the so-called righteous and good good standing Jews. So the, the shepherds go out, and maybe this is how I imagine it. They go door to door, venue to venue, synagogue to synagogue. They might even go by the temple. It's not that far. And they make it known that the Messiah has come for them. <laughs> Can you imagine them looking at one of the priests going, he came to us, Bubba. <laughs> 
And Luke recounts that everyone was amazed. I bet they were. I bet they were afraid, too. I bet this threw everything for a loop. I think some were desirous, uh, but so many, yeah, you get it, right? Today, too. The last persons that anyone in Judea expected to be prophets of the Messiah were these shepherds. That's when we will know, really know that revival has happened. Listening, listen, when drug dealers, prostitutes, gangbangers, convicts, child abusers, when they come and tell us that Jesus is real and has changed their lives, and then invites us to come see him too, right? Remember the very beginning I said, would you go to that church? Well, that's the church of revival. And see, that's what God did and still does. His message I'm going to rescue and honor the shamed. I lift up the beat up, the overlooked, the marginalized. I take on their shame. They become my great priests, my prophets, my kings and queens, my ambassadors. Aha moments number four. The shepherds still couldn't enter the temple or synagogue even after this, but they could enter the presence of God himself. Think about that. Even after this, those shepherds still couldn't go to the temple, but they were in the presence of God's Shekinah glory enfleshed. And such irony. How strange had Judaism become? How twisted? And by the way, I mean, the same thing could be said of Christianity today. Uh, Again, no judgment. I'm just saying, I'm observing. The writings were way out of sync with the heart of God. The religion says God comes for the clean enough. The Advent says God comes for the dirty, the look down upon, the outcast, the shame, not just to rescue them, but also to raise them up as persons of great honor and glory to embrace them, to whisper in their ears, well done, good and faithful servant, even though they didn't do anything, all because of what Jesus did. The shepherds became the new prophets of the advent. It's absurd. It's shocking. It's scandalous. I mean, who who could write this stuff? So you know what? Uh, Some of the despised and disenfranchised are those Christians who other Christians, insiders, uh, the truly clean, you know, they have made those Christians to feel lower, to feel less loved by God. Maybe it's because you haven't been attending church. Maybe it's because you haven't been tithing or praying or or you don't speak about Jesus anymore. You don't pray enough. We all know them. Maybe you're one of them. I've definitely been one of them. I've I've seen both sides. What makes us label a brother and sister in Christ who Christ has made clean? What makes us label them as unclean? Is it choices they've made? Is it choices they haven't made? What justifies us rallying the wagons around the community and shunning them? I'm not saying we shouldn't enter into conversations with them, and, and, and we should. But honestly, there's certain sins and certain aberrant behaviors that, man, just ignite us. They may have personality issues that make them scary or dangerous. They may be socially different. Maybe it's theological difference or politics or race or sex or sexuality. Maybe it's denomination. Maybe And remember, these people uh, are as loved and honored by Jesus. If they're Christians, the Spirit is in them. Jesus loves them as much as he loves me. But we fall into treating them with contempt. We avoid, we slander, we justify our separation. Let me tell you what they did, what they said. They can't be real Christians. Real Christians would never do that. So I hope... They don't come to our fellowship. To the extent that we do this, we're all out of sync with Jesus. We all do it. Um, There was a, when I was in Canada, we had a a child abuser. He was in psychiatric prison for abusing children. And of course, he had been abused as well as a child. 
And uh, when he got out, uh, he, he became a Christian. He heard a sermon of mine uh, inside the psychiatric prison, became a Christian. I met with him on a couple of occasions for discipleship. And uh, when he got out, uh, he wanted to come to our church. He, went to a, he moved to a halfway house nearby our church just so he could come. Well, whew, that was a gut check for our congregation. We had lots of people leave. I understand. Uh, a lot of families left our church because of this, even though we, we, you know, we did protection. We had him uh, always there with a sponsor and, and those kind of things. I get it. But you know what? Here's the thing. I still use him as an example of the types of people Jesus clearly loves and makes his prophets. Ah, and so I'm going to call it shepherding. That's my t- nasty term for the week. It's it's the treating someone with despise and and uh, you know putting them in a box, shepherding. And but you know what? He loves them as much as he loves his son, and the son loves the father, the saved ones, right? They're as much his sons and daughters as you or I. He has already died for all of their uh, societal crimes and sins, all of them. He loves them as they are. And by the way, shepherds do the same thing. Shepherds shepherd. You know, they, they, uh, they break up into groups and denominations even among themselves. I get it. Um, good news. Heaven is filled with the likes of you and me, the rescued, the raised up, the redeemed, the honored, the failures. It's just heaven's going to be a very interesting place. So despised, come to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus paid for all of your crimes. If you're a Christian, right? If not, run to Jesus, throw yourself into his arms and say, save me. Um, God doesn't look now upon you with contempt or judgment or criticism. It's hard to imagine. And it is unbelievable. I get that. That is God's advent. That's what we've been talking about. He also promises to raise you up to wholeness. What was taken from you, done to you, put on you, all of that reversed uh, ultimately. Imagine justice for what's been done to you. You'll be able to taste that. Isn't that great news? Um, And second, Jesus alone was cleaned ritually and legally when he died. At his death, mysteriously, his record is given to you, put in your resume. So God looks and responds accordingly. God loves you that much. Uh, and by the way, you can ask God through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, Ephesians 3, 14 and following, for the power to feel that right now. It's yours. And third, you're giving an honor that your community perhaps didn't give you here. You're adopted, full card-carrying prince or princess in his kingdom, a prophet or priest now, no matter how you've been treated by people here. Can't be taken away, can't be diminished. And last, you have the Holy Spirit, God with you. As powerfully as his glory was in the temple, He is in you, and you can come, you can access fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things, gifts, power to be able to access the love of Christ for you, faith in order to know the uh, unknowable, faith to the power to be able to experience God's love for you and for other people. Uh, It's amazing, drip by drip, little by little. And now, like your predecessors, go and proclaim the advent to other shepherds and to other righteous. The child has come for the disgraced, the failed, the marginalized. The unprivileged class has now has a rescuer. All they need to do, all we need to do is come and look into his eyes. Well, last aha moment. Here's the question. What did the angels require the shepherds before they were able to come into the presence of Jesus? Were they to stop touching unclean carcasses? I don't read that anywhere. 
were they required to stop fooling around in order to become his, his prophets or become good husbands or wives or deal with their anger and bickering and addictions? Were they to become good shepherds? Were they to stop pursuing sex and other sexualities, give back all the money they took? No. Uh, nope. I, I just find that fascinating. I would have. I clearly would have. But all they were told to do was to come into the presence of Christ. And that's the point. How are they going to change until they are in a powerful, life-changing presence of the Messiah, until they have the Messiah's spirit in them? They can't. They won't. So God loves us first. God invites us into a relationship, and that's the thing that can change us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. and makes us joy and satisfy. It begins to satisfy the nagging longing, give me a new sense of purpose and value and honor, and make me feel loved, which overflows to love for others. And then all those other things I begin to want to do. By the way, same thing for priests, the Pharisees, religion has zero track record of that being accomplished. It just just can't. I need power from God. So if Jesus came specifically for an amazing work this week, don't be surprised that he goes to despise Christians to be the prophets and despise non-Christians to be his prophets. Just remind us of how he works, who he loves. He's come to rescue and raise up shepherds like us. Well, I want to just take another second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you can find other faith-centered podcasts. If you're enjoying our 2022 Christmas series, check out the ongoing series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's Like I said, it's posted on Sundays. You can go back and listen to it from the beginning. I have published a workbook earlier this summer on the Beatitudes. Uh, It's becoming quite popular. It's called Jesus Said What? with a question mark. Uh, if you have a small group, you're looking for some some provocative material, check it out. You can get it on Amazon. You can follow it on Right Now Media. You can get it on our website, gospel-app.com. I want to invite you to go to the website and just peruse. look, Check some things out. A lot of free stuff there. Recently, we published a very free, meaning zero cost, online video program for frustrated parents of teens and tweens. Great feedback from parents and counselors who've been through it. Have you ever wondered why your teen blows up at the table when you make them eat their Brussels sprouts? I mean, I I get that. I don't like Brussels sprouts, but I mean, blow up. Did you know that there's two subconscious questions that every adolescent brain is asking? And if you, right, if you knew that, wouldn't that change things? Subconscious. You know what, you, you want to know what they are? Check out <laughs> goodenoughparent.online. Goodenoughparent, all one word, goodenoughparent.online. And it's free. 15 short tips sent to you one a day. All right. Uh, the next and last Advent podcast will be on Christmas Eve. It's not like you have anything better than do, right? Listen to a podcast. <laughs> Am I right? And here's the teaser. The priest Zechariah has more verses about him and his wife Elizabeth than any other character in the birth story. So much more. But have you ever heard much about poor old Zeke? Well, I'm going to suggest that he has a huge story to tell that's worth listening to. So next time, Zeke, the shamed priest in Christmas. Until then, take heart, child of God.
Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth, unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.